Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Uh, Nicole, are you all ready for Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday? You know, I am. It's it's a different kind of year. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've been talking to a lot of people about is, you know, just sort of doing Thanksgiving differently this year so that maybe we can have some more normalcy in 2021. And I know it's so hard and I know we're all growing weary with all of this quarantine situation. And just, I mean, I think I said last week, I haven't even seen my own dad in almost two years now, just because of where COVID hit in the typical time of year, I go visit him. And so I understand, you know, the want to be with family members, but, you know, yeah, most people recover and do fine with COVID, but what if you have it and pass it on to someone who is going to be one of those ones that that won't? So I kind of keep that in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about Thanksgiving. So we're just going to have a little humble family Thanksgiving, and I think it'll be special and something we'll always remember just for that. Yeah, it's better to play it safe. And I will say the one, you know, there have been very few benefits to the pandemic, but one of them around Thanksgiving seems to be a lot of those family members who kept recipes very guarded and secretive uh-huh. seem to be, you know, willing to share those this year to yeah. make an exception because of the pandemic. So I've actually gotten a hold of Ooh. a couple of secret recipes that I've been wanting for a very long time. You so. can enter them maybe into the state fair next year. Yes, I'm all ready. I'm all ready to <laughs> win that blue ribbon. Well, Nicole, we've been talking throughout the month of November about how it is National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. And we're going to be talking about some myths and facts surrounding that and you know we we couldn't find someone who uh we love talking to more than dr billy dunlap he is the co-founder of what is now uh transitions life care formerly hospice of wake county dr dunlap thank you so much for joining us today well thank you for asking me it's always such a pleasure to have you on the show and you know whenever we chat i always learn uh, some interesting new tidbits about uh, hospice of Wake County now transitions life care, and I can still feel, uh, you know, after all these years, just the passion and love you have for that organization. So it is always an honor to speak with you, and I and I think it's really super important to talk about, you know, a lot of the myths that really surround the sort of the body of care of hospice because there are a lot out there, and I think you know overall we're doing a good job to dispel some of them, but there there are quite a few that really sort of sail out there, even when I'm just talking to people people in the lay community. And so love the opportunity to chat with you about that this morning. Well, thank you. So, um, you know, one of the myths that I'm aware of is is one that I often hear about, and, and, it's, and it's one that, um, you know, I have, often have to have very deep conversations, even with family members and friends, is that hospice care is really only for people who have given up on life. Well, that's certainly um, one of the reasons that people delay too long before requesting hospice care. Uh, that is the, the, um, the last thing I would uh, say to someone. And the, the, the fact is that hospice 
um, care actually promotes uh, living each day to its fullest and enjoying life as much as possible in the final days. Um, and it's certainly not giving up. It, it's almost like you're getting treatment for, an, for the symptoms of an illness, just like you might get treatment for heart disease or lung disease. So it's not giving up. It's trying to improve uh, the final days of a patient and especially helps their family also. So it's definitely not giving up. And we try to dispel that uh, myth from the very first. But it does delay some patients from seeking hospice care. You know, in, in all the years of my experience working in um, end-of-life care or serious illness care uh, since since the mid-1990s, I've really found for a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of people, um, that when they actually go on to hospice care, it almost seems like they rally. And it almost seems like for some people, just the fact, and this is anecdotal, maybe there's proof or maybe there's not, but it just seems like the fact that there is sort of a, a supportive circle of love and, and healthcare professionals and just a, a way to really bring families together in a special way really sometimes seems to almost prolong the life of an individual versus hasten it. And I think uh, a, a sort of another myth that people have is, you know, hospice care hastens death. Hospice care uh, does not hasten death. And if you look at statistics, a person who receives hospice care at the end of life lives longer than a person who um, is treated in uh, the traditional end of life way. This, uh, this has been proven in, in numerous studies. So hospice care does not shorten life. It extends it in many cases. So what are some of the other common myths that you've run across in your long career working in this field? Well, I thought the first thing you, was gonna, you, would, you were going to say was that it's only for people with cancer. Mm. And that is definitely untrue. Uh, back in the um, 80s, when we first started hospice, the great majority of our patients did have cancer, but now probably no more than 30, um, 30 to 35% of our patients have a malignant condition. There are just so many other um, diseases like congestive heart failure and um, chronic lung disease that uh, make up the patients we serve. So that is definitely untrue and probably has deterred some people from seeking hospice care because they thought they could only be treated if they had cancer. So sort of speaking about some of that, it's sort of, in a, I guess, in a more indirect way, but a more of a direct question to you, you know, what really inspired you to be a co-founder of this body of work in working with and creating a hospice of Wake County? What, what drew you to that message and to that body of life work years ago? Well, in 1978, I was essentially the only person in Raleigh treating uh, cancer on a, a near full-time basis. And so I had an astounding uh, number of patients at the end of life. In fact, 
the first time I heard about a meeting to discuss hospice uh, in this county, um, I looked back over the previous year and found that I had 77 patients that would have benefited from hospice care. So that was a rather astounding uh, fact for me to face. And when I heard what hospice could do, um, that's how I got interested. That's definitely, you know, something when you look back and you think about and just the fact that you had the vision to sort of look at that group of people and think, you know, is there anything I could have done differently or better for them? Is there anything out there that might have eased their way into uh, into death a little bit more easily? And it's, I appreciate the fact that you, you know, were willing to look at that and, and to bring this into our area because I really think it's it's made a tremendous impact for our community. Well, it's interesting to, to note that in 1978, <clears throat> in 1978, not a single person at the end of life in Wake County received hospice care, and now somewhere in the range of 50% of people uh, seek hospice care at the end of life in Wake County. Wow, that's that's a tremendous change. Yeah, that's great to see. And Dr. Dunlap, we thank you so much for your time and for shedding some light on some of these popular myths that are out there. And hopefully we can help get rid of some of that misinformation that's going around. And we appreciate your time and all the contributions that you've made to Transitions Life Care and to this community, Dr. Dunlap. Thank you. Well, thank you for letting me be on your program. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. All the pleasure is on this side of the microphone. We do need to take a quick break, but we will be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Don't forget, you can always go to transitionslifecare.org to find plenty more information, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're going to now shift our focus to ways to make the holidays special for seniors during COVID, which uh, is a challenge in its own right. So uh, we brought in an expert here. She is Shannon Tippett. She's a multimedia executive with Seniors Guide. Shannon, thank you so much for joining the show. No, thank you for having me this morning. You know, at the top of the show, we were talking a little bit about just sort of the challenge this year and just the the personal things that we've all had to give up. And and one thing's for sure, you know, our our older adults, the most vulnerable population, have probably given up the most in 2020. I mean, first of all, they're, you know, in the twilight part of their their lives. And and now it's almost like an entire year has been taken away from them. So it's just sad on so many levels. to be faced with this pandemic. So I'm super excited to hear about some ways that you've discovered that we could really help make the holidays, while they'll be different, but still special for the older adults in our lives. Yes. Um, you know, there are two things to consider. I mean, one is, is that loved one still healthy enough where you can meet in person. Um, and if you're 
going to do that to, you know, use common sense and, and use uh, precautions and, and masks and socially distance and wash your hands um, and do some of the same things that you're used to doing. Um, but as you said, um, the big consideration um, right now is seniors that are more isolated because of COVID and, you know, keeping them in mind and the center of your focus and with some pre-planning, you can still make the holiday special for them. So what are some ways that you could suggest our listeners who, you know, may be very hesitant to uh, perhaps bring a loved one in their home for Thanksgiving this year, but still make that person feel like they are connected? Well, I think um, some of the ways is, you know, the big, a big part of the holidays is, is memories mm-hmm. um, and traditions. And I think you can still do that on a virtual platform. Um, it just takes a lot more pre-planning and um, the community coming together as a whole or the family coming together as a whole. So one thing you can do is if you're going to use uh, technology to, to help bring that person into the loop is, is creating memories and just transferring that over to um, a virtual platform like Zoom or other video conferencing. You know, you, Zoom is a fun way to uh, share memories and you can um, actually put together slideshows of holidays you celebrated together and you can really engage that senior um, with talking about the, the photos and, and going through and even using um, an old background um, on Zoom as a, or picture from a holiday past um, is a, a good way to, to bring them in. And then recording the uh, the virtual meeting um, and using that for um, reference later. I know there's um, a, a book called the Family Workbook, Family Story Workbook. Um, it's an actual book that you can order on Amazon, um, and it gives you um, prompts and for capturing details and, and questions to ask to be able to capture um, some historical data and fond memories of belong to your loved one. And there's a, a website called storycorps.org, which is a nonprofit, but because of COVID, they've actually launched a um, online platform for recording these conversations. So, you know, having those, making that extra effort to, to ask your seniors, you know, what um, or their favorite childhood memories and their favorite holiday traditions and things like that and, and, and taking the time to write it down or record it. You know, one of is one way. One of my most fond memories as a child was, especially when I, you know, was a little bit taller than the countertop, was was actually, you know, preparing some of those secret recipes that Jason was mentioning at the top of the show with with Grandma, and you know, none of it was written down. You just kind of had to learn it by doing it year after year after year. And I saw something online that was. You know, it's sweet, but it's also bittersweet to me to even imagine doing this. But, you know, having grandma with you on Zoom, for example, and, you know, walking you through how do you prepare that very best, you know, Sasha's chestnut stuffing or whatever it may be or candied yams or what have you. And, you know, just have her, having grandma kind of right there with you as you're trying to prepare that secret recipe for the first time. Or even um, I've heard some families, you know, while they are all celebrating as little units inside their homes, each family is working on the 
this special dish that they always make and bring to Thanksgiving, and then they're doing sort of drop-off so that everybody ends up with a complete meal. It's just that they're not, um, you know, actually going to be eating it all together in the same home. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it just takes a little more Mm -hmm. pre-planning. And, and, you know, if, if, if your loved one is in a retirement community, you know, working with them to drop the meal off and deliver to them at time where you can all be on a Zoom call together, sharing that meal and um, doing your own shipping if you, for whatever reason, you can't be in person to, to just drop it off. Um, making those special recipes that you were just bringing out that make them feel apart like they are not um, alone during this time. You know, we, those things do food and aromas and things like that can bring so many great memories you know, back to us. And having the opportunity for them to receive that ahead of time or, and one idea, if you're going to do it um, virtually again, is to ha- set up the phone at the head of the table. So your virtual guests can feel like they are a part of it and they can see everybody enjoying their recipes and, and things like that and, and celebrating those traditions again. I think those are all some um, really great ideas. I also have heard some ideas about sort of even playing some some games together. You know, a lot of families play games after the holiday meal or what have you. So even having somebody sort of be the surrogate dice roller or or something like that, and they can really be part of, you know, even participating on on that level. Yes, the engagement during the holidays Mm -hmm. is is a big factor that um, brings us all together and the the laughs and the fun memories. And yes, playing games together, watching a football game. There's some families that are big into sports, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or maybe watching a movie together that's easy to do and and be able to share screen um, on a virtual platform or mailing a DVD Mm -hmm. to that senior and have somebody at the community or in their home be able to help them with the technology part of it so they can be a part of that. And some of the games, like people, you you mentioned the games and and that's a perfect um, way to even incorporate old memories um, and funny jokes and family history and things like that. But, you know, kids are big into, you know, their PlayStations and Xboxes and all of that. And being able to get the grandparents in to play video games with their grandkids. I mean, what a fun memory to to do that there. So that is a huge part of it. So switching gears a little bit, I know in your work with the Seniors Guide, you work very closely with not only community-based care organizations, but long-term care communities who I know have been working so diligently since March to make sure that the older adults feel like they're not isolated and that they have, you know, arms of love around them. And I know, you know, in more recent times, they've loosened some restrictions and allowed families in. But what are some things that you've heard some of the senior care communities are trying to do to make the holidays special this year? You know, um, I've heard that some are uh, maybe having, because, you know, in a retirement community, the the camaraderie that you have is so important. And um, I know at one time they were each having their meals in their apartments or maybe allowing like smaller gatherings within the community itself where they're socially distanced and can maintain you know, those um, safety protocols. But um, other th- other things, you know, having carolers go door to door with singing holiday songs, um, 
games out in the hallways where each resident is socially distant. I, I think the communities, as you have said, have done a great job getting really creative um, and still incorporating some of those traditions that they normally do yep, just, at the holidays. Just because we've got the pandemic going on doesn't mean we can't create some really great memories and, and get creative and find some ways to make these uh, Maybe some new and lasting traditions. Who knows? She is Shannon Tippett. She is the multimedia executive with Seniors Guide. You can go to seniorsguide.com. They also have a magazine that they put out three times a year. You can find all the information online at seniorsguide.com. Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. A quick break and back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Nicole, we're going to focus in yet another direction and we're going to be talking about power mobility equipment. This isn't something that uh, it's, it's probably been a while since we have addressed, but of course the needs come up. And to discuss a topic like this, we need an expert, absolutely need an expert, and that is Dave Gibson. He is a mobility consultant with American Mobility. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking some time to shed some light on this topic. I think there are, are uh, a lot of misnomers out there about power mobility equipment, how how it's paid for. You know, you see a lot of times infomercials, and you, so you're just not sure, you know, what's what in the world of power mobility. So uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what exactly is considered power mobility, if you would, and then what does uh, a person such as yourself do to a person to find the best product out there. Sure, and and exactly the power power exactly means that power. In other words, the chair or the mobility device is is has a motor that's running itself. It's nothing where you like a, a walker or a, a manual wheelchair where you have to propel yourself. So everything is propelled and done by a motor, which makes it easier to 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 move around. Uh, as far as, as what I do, um, I'm here, I, I become the advocate for the patient. Uh, what you said in the initial statement is correct. Most people do not understand the process, don't understand if they qualify, don't understand how insurance pays for it. And what I do is, is basically reach out to the, when I, when I have a patient, go to the patient, do we, first thing we do is do a home assessment to make sure that the, A, that the home can accommodate a, uh, a power mobility device, explain how the process works, um, and explain how insurance works, explain what it takes to qualify, and and basically become an advocate throughout the entire process. So is this a similar situation for most people where this ends up being an out-of-pocket expense, or, or are really there are some ways to get some of this at least partially covered for the most part? For most insurance, if you especially if would they follow Medicare guidelines in most insurances, uh, Medicare basically will pay eighty percent, and then twenty percent will be 
part of the uh, the patients uh, what they they owe. Now, if you have a secondary insurance uh, as part as uh, from Medicare, that will cover the twenty percent. A lot of cases there there may not be any uh, expenses out of out of your pocket. So it really depends on what your insurance you have and if you have a secondary insurance. So you talked a little bit about uh, qualifying, and so what are some typical things, you know, for those listening, and they may think, well, geez, I have a, a loved one who really has difficulty rising up out of a chair, or, you know, it's just really getting hard for them to, you know, move around with their walker, and they really don't have great upper body strength, so I don't think a wheelchair is going to make that much of a difference. What are some of the, I guess, characteristics of need that a person may have that might make you think they could potentially at least have a partial coverage for something like this? Yeah, the, the biggest the biggest rule of thumb is, you know, ambulatory, how far can they walk? You know, can they walk safely uh, more than 30 feet? If they can, they're not going to qualify. If they're if they're struggling with weakness, with falling, uh, they're, they're constantly, uh, even with a, a walker or, or transferring, if there is uh, weakness there that, that basically there's a risk of falling and hurting themselves more is another aspect of that they're possibly be able to help our, our the power wheelchair be able to help them, which will help them qualify. Um, Keep in mind that we follow everything follows Medicare guidelines. So it basically, the rule of thumb is is that a mobility device has to help them with mobility related activities of daily living within the household. So that means uh, you know moving room to room, going to the kitchen to prepare meals, getting dressed, getting to the bathroom in time. Any of those cases that. A, a power device would help uh, a patient be able to handle those uh, those activities in a in a timely manner and a safely manner. So I think one of the general myths, or maybe it's a fact, I guess. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that all power mobility wheelchairs, for example, are these big, giant, bulky scooter type things. And a lot of people are hesitant to even get involved with it because they just think, well, you know, my loved one can't use that in their tiny home. Is that true? I mean, have, have things changed? Are some of these um, chairs and things a lot more you know, compact these days? Or, or is that really still the case? Well, it's still, it's, they're, they're still, when you, anytime you get in with a power, any time with power, involved with it, just power wheelchairs, scooters, and stuff like that. It, it, they are uh, a lot heavier, a lot, uh, a lot bulkier and all that kind of stuff than a normal power or normal, even a normal wheelchair. But they've gotten a lot smaller. I mean, you're, you're talking about that. And, that, and I get, get back to the home assessment. That's the reason why the initial part of any time a patient contacts me is we go out and do a home assessment. Mm-hmm. We talk about those things within the house that where where if you can use this or can't use this because obviously why get something that you can't use um so we 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 discuss those those very things that uh, that will uh help them understand what they're capable of getting or what would be best to, to help them within their house so when I think of power mobility, you know, you and know, you said basically anything with a motor. I, now my mind has gone to things that help people get up and down the stairs. Is that included in the catchment of a power mobility equipment, or is that something a little bit different? Yeah. Unfortunately, no. That's something totally different. Okay. Um, the, yeah, going back to Medicare guidelines, they only worry about 
moving around the house on one floor, one level. Anything above that, if you have to go to the second floor, uh, like a, a stair lift or anything like that, unfortunately, Medicare does not pay for anything like that. Um, that would come. That would have to come directly out of your own pocket. So even insofar as, you know, what if, if a person had a couple of steps to get up into their house or from their garage into their home, so you're dealing more with having to get a ramp versus any sort of a power lift? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even even the ramps uh, to, to get out, you know, to get out of your house and so on and so forth, any kind of ramp is is individually has to be paid. Then the insurance company will not pay for Medicare will not pay for any of that stuff. So you have mentioned that Medicare is one potential option for payment for this type of equipment. How about Medicaid, uh, veterans benefits, long-term mm-hmm. care insurance? Do any of those things sometimes cover? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have Medicaid as a secondary, they'll cover the 20%. If you have Med- Medicare as a primary, it's 100%. So you don't have to pay anything that aspect of it. Um, anybody with the VA, it's a little bit different because I would recommend you go back to the VA Okay. Within the VA, they have their own system, or it's a, you know the, the 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 veterans don't have to pay anything for it. Okay, and how about long term care insurance? I know that's sometimes a saving grace for a lot of people to pay for actually care. Does that ever cover the stuff of care? Uh, very seldom. Okay. Very seldom. Most most of the time, that that goes directly to what you're talking about the care of a person, more or less, not not necessarily equipment. So one of the things that I always like to uh, recommend that our listeners do is really start thinking proactively versus, you know, what happens during a crisis. So, you know, if a loved one has a a disease diagnosis, such as, for example, ALS, I'm guessing, or MS, or even Parkinson's disease, you know... The earlier on, I would think that you would have a conversation with a person like yourself from American Mobility, the better, so that you can really start making a plan about what the future might look like. Is is that something that you all recommend? Is that something you see people doing? Most definitely. Most definitely, because especially when you start talking about those, you know, ALS, MS and stuff, they're very pro- uh, progressive <clears throat> diseases that, unfortunately, there's no timetable for anything. So, you can be ambulatory one one day, and then a week from now, you may might not be able to walk. So yeah, it's always always best to to get prepared for what may come in the future, and that's what one of the things that we we try to talk about when we go out to to meet patients is where you're going to be not only in six months, you know, uh, a year from now, five years from now. And what can we do and what kind of equipment we can that can progress as you progress so that we can, you know, help whatever needs that you have at the time. That sort of long range vision and planning can be so key as uh, oftentimes we are just kind of thrown into a crisis where we're trying to get one thing done after another. And if you've got your ducks in a row, it certainly makes things a whole lot easier. He is Dave Gibson, mobility consultant with American Mobility. You can find more information about them online at American-Mobility.com, American-Mobility.com. Dave, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you all.
Absolutely. We will take a quick break and be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680. Care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're going to visit a topic that we haven't talked about in a while, and that's oral care for the elderly and the homebound. And there's uh, an option for folks who maybe are not able to get to a dentist's office or to uh, maybe they're they're worried with the, the COVID situation. Mm-hmm. You know, oral care is, is so very important. Uh, it's such a key to maintaining a, a healthy overall body. And to cover this subject, we're bringing back our friend, Sashar Motamedi, and we appreciate Appreciate him coming on because he is the patient coordinator and office manager for Triangle Mobile Dentistry. Sarshar, welcome back on the show. Well, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Nicole, for having me. Glad to be with you guys today. So I'm happy to talk about this because I know oral care around COVID-19 has been in the news all the time about whether or not you should go to the dentist and what the risks are and and things of that nature. And, you know, gosh, it's just like, you know, the gyms and everything else. It's (laughs) so seemingly so complicated and and maybe it doesn't need to be. I'm not sure. But um, oral care for older adults is so incredibly important. And I, and I know that um, for a lot of family members who are caring for a loved one it, wherever they call home, it can be really, really hard to get that loved one to get out of the home. And it's sometimes seemingly a monumental effort. And I love the idea that Triangle Mobile Dentistry actually can come to the home and provide that care for that individual where they feel most comfortable, especially when they have a cognitive impairment. I I can imagine that that is incredibly helpful to the families. It really is. And I'm so glad, uh, Nicole, you brought up that new information that it is going around about the dentistry and the COVID-19 because uh, first of all in in generally speaking before COVID since 1988 pandemic the dental professional everybody in the United States did uh, uh, stood to the higher standard of the sanitation after each patient uh, they always wipe everything down autoclaving the instrument and doing a lot of different things and of course, in a brick and mortar, there's a you know there is a new technologies that a lot of the dentists, like a source capture unit, UV light, fogging, and things like that, that's been incorporated. Now, it's really, really uh, overall, it is safe. I mean, we do a lot of precautions uh, uh, with the patient, and we do the same thing also not in our brick and mortar office in Chapel Hill, also with Triangle Mobile Dentistry. Uh, that when we go, we make sure we fog the place, we utilize the uh, individual uh, staff to wear a changeable GANs and protective gears and PPE and uh, all the things. And we also monitor the uh, patient. But again, uh, due to COVID also, we have seen a tremendous increase in emergencies because during the two months that uh, uh, until the American Dental Association ADA brought up the news that hey listen we really the dental professional is uh, like uh, uh, pretty much essential uh, to 
uh, oral health, and not only oral health, it also affects the entire body. Uh, because if you have an infection in the mouth, your artery is going to take it all the way to your brain and the other artery is going to bring it down to your lungs and your heart. So it is very, very important. So I'm so glad that you are doing this show about the oral health. And Nicole, I really do appreciate it about this awareness. Yeah, you know, and I think there's always, it always seems to me that when it comes to older adults, and I know I'm making a generalization here, but it seems like oral health tends to take a back burner to more of the, you know, heart conditions and lung conditions and cognitive issues. But to your point, you know, a lot of what's going on in an individual's mouth can really lead to additional comorbidities for that individual and worsening of some of the disease processes that they have in place. And and you are correct, because what we see generally uh, when people calling us, especially for the emergency visits, uh, when we go, it's just a little too late. And we really like to be in the forefront of preventative dentistry rather than uh, trying to extracting any things like that. Because if the patient cannot leave their home due to their condition, uh, and if they need some uh, extra services like an oral surgery or endodontist treatment that we cannot sometimes provide to them in the a mobile setting that they really need to be in a controlled environment, like an oral surgery unit or in the dentist uh, office, it makes it even harder. So we really do need the, you know, the people to realize that it is a part of the care. And of course, you know, being dentistry is a very expensive uh, and unfortunately is not covered by any insurances, things like that unless you do have a dental insurance, which is also not really an insurance, it's just a supplement and it doesn't cover everything. So it is uh, financially is a burden and also it is uh, logistically is a burden to a lot of family members who care for their loved ones. So what are some things that if a family caregiver is you know, in home with a loved one, what are some things that they may be able to look out for uh, that might make them suspect that there may be a change to uh, the oral health of that individual? It's a great question. Of course, you know, when they do uh, constant brushing and flossing, uh, it's, it helps tremendously with the inflammation and uh, helping the patient. And also, as much as they do uh, for their residents or for their, you know, loved ones, uh, they get uh, pretty much they know the, uh, their uh, Person, so they know what to sign for. <clears throat> and also, there are some signs when you see, especially people with dementia uh, or Alzheimer's, they cannot uh, express their feelings about the pain like me and you, we could. Uh, so they usually is the sign they rub their mouths or they touch their gum and they keep putting their hands in their mouth. So they need to look after those things, of course, any kind of swelling and things like that, that also is a uh, sign uh, for it and you know and again the standard of the care for these people uh, is usually is about every three to four months that we can you know visit them uh, or they go to a dentist generally uh, whether we go there we go to their home or they go to a dentist they really needs to be proactive uh, with a three four months recall process so talk to us a little bit about who the typical patient is that you would normally go out to the home to see just to give people an idea of the types of people you see in the home. Well, pretty much anybody that who cannot leave their 
whatever they call it home. Uh, mostly is the dementia and Alzheimer's patient. As you very aware of the situation, Nicole yourself, uh, when they leave to go on familiar area, they just they're not going to be in a comfortable. They're not going to be very cooperative. Uh, plus, you know, you got to get them dressed, and you got to get them in the car. You got to go. You got to sit in a waiting room. Uh, when we go to them, we can take care of, you know, we are in, a, in their own controlled uh, environment, so we can provide a little better service for them. So that's, that's one group. Uh, the other group is the people who have some, uh, basically is a bed bond due to maybe obesity or uh, maybe uh, injury in their back or leg that they cannot be uh, transported or, you know, uh, they have to be in a, in a, in a gurney, and, but the cost of, you know, getting an ambulance to carrying them. And most the dental offices are not equipped to carry a gurney in because right. we always have a fixed chair in our brick-and-mortar office. So, so those are the ones that usually people with MS, MLS, uh, also we see a lot of them. And just the elderly people that they are frail and there is a, a risk of a falling. They have a fall risk. Uh, that we take care of it in the convenience of their home. So talk to us a little bit about the geographic region that you serve. Uh, we are, uh, at this time, fortunate enough to serve Alamance, Orange, Durham, Wake, and Chatham County, basically from Burlington all the way to Zebulon, Fikwe, Verena, to uh, Wake Forest okay. uh, that we are serving right now. So that's great. So that's a really uh, great swath of, of an area that you can actually assist people for those listening. And I know this station goes through all that those areas as well. I think this is definitely one of those best kept secrets out there. And I'm really excited to get the word out about what you do, because I think there are a lot of people that have not received dental care because of limiting factors in the home. Yeah, and Nicole, we talk that about the, the many things that caregivers have to deal with, and this is probably one of the things that is one of the last things that you tend to think of. So I'm so glad that we had some time to speak with you. Sarshar is TriangleMobileDentistry.com the best way for folks to find more information? Uh, that is the best way they can get as much information, uh, read about our uh, reviews, and see the team that comes over. We do a great team of the doctor and the dental assistant that really put their hearts and souls into this and uh, they go out and they take care of the patients and and our phone number is also they can always reach us 919-799-2770 excellent and again online at triangle mobile dentistry Com. He is Sarshar Motamedi. He is the patient coordinator and office manager of Triangle Mobile Dentistry, and we always love having him on the program. We are out of time for today. I want to thank all of our guests who helped make this show possible. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.